0: Hey, thanks for listening in to another sermon on the Daryl Johnson podcast. In this sermon, Daryl invites us into Paul's prison cell using Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Daryl explains how Paul has now moved from preaching the gospel to praying the gospel. On his knees, Paul is praying that Christians would allow the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who hovered over the earth to create the world, and the same Spirit who hovered over the Virgin Mary to bring the Messiah to indwell us. This sermon leaves us with the question, will we invite the Holy Spirit to take residence in our hearts? Now, if you've benefited from Daryl's content and want to continue to make it accessible to more people, you can set up a monthly donation today. Whether it's $20 or $200, your monthly giving can be an important part of making projects like this podcast possible and fueling the writing and speaking Daryl is doing these days. Plus a bonus— All regular givers get Daryl's latest books sent to them whenever they are released. You can give at the link in the podcast description or at daryljohnson.ca. Okay, let's jump in with Daryl.
1: I love to hear the Apostle Paul preach, but I also love to hear the Apostle Paul pray. No one prays as passionately or expansively as does Paul. Except, of course, the Lord Jesus, in whose name Paul is praying. After studying all of Paul's prayers in all of Paul's letters, New Testament scholar David Crump observes in his helpful book, Knocking on Heaven's Door, that Paul asks for nothing in moderation. Paul asks for nothing in moderation. Says Dr. Crump, Paul's prayers are marked by a blatant extravagance. Superlatives become the lingua franca of all of Paul's prayers. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now unto him who is able to do far more than all we ask or think. I'd love to hear Paul preach the gospel. But I also love to hear Paul pray the gospel, and I especially love to hear him pray the prayer in the text before us today, in the third chapter of his letter to the Ephesians. Paul is in prison in Rome, the capital city of the greatest empire on earth. He is awaiting trial before Caesar, Nero Caesar, the most powerful person on earth. A Roman soldier guards him day and night. He is allowed some contact with his friends, like with the man named Tychicus, who at the end of the letter to the Ephesians, Paul calls the beloved brother, the faithful minister in the Lord. Tychicus is serving Paul as a kind of secretary. He's writing down the letter as Paul dictates it. And by the time Paul and Tychicus get to the text before us today... Paul is on his knees. Praying. On his knees. Not the normal posture for a Jew to take when praying. Kneeling was the normal posture for Gentiles, but not for Jews. Jews stood to pray, lifting their hands high, but not this time. This time Paul gets down on his knees partly to identify with Gentiles, but mostly because kneeling expresses a deeper reverence and a more fervent longing. On his knees, Paul, as it were, takes the hearts of the believers in Ephesus into his hands, and then lifts their hearts to the living God Asking the Father, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul loves to call him, asking the Father to do in their hearts what only the Father can do in human hearts. Up to this point in his letter, Paul has been opening up the gospel of Jesus Christ. Up to this point in his letter, he's been articulating this alternative vision of reality shaped by the life death resurrection and ascension of Jesus remember the note on which he began the note that has been sustained throughout all he writes blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ talk about extravagance and talk about superlatives every spiritual blessing Every blessing the Spirit has to give us in Christ. He then opens up and identifies some of this every. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Adopted into the family of God. Redeemed. Forgiven. Clued in on the mystery of God's working in the world. Given an inheritance in God's future. Sealed with the Holy Spirit. On he goes. I've often wondered how Tychicus could keep up with the dictation. Then Paul reports how he had been praying, asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ to open the eyes of our hearts so that we might know, so that we might know the hope of his calling, we might know the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and that we might know the surpassing greatness of God's power toward us, the power God exercised when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him far above all powers. Paul then proclaims the gospel of God's power, that God takes people who were dead in their sins and who were captive to evil and makes them, us, alive together with Christ, raising us up with Christ, seating us with Christ in the heavenly places, and as a result, God making us into new creation, God's handiwork in the world. Then, Paul puts all of that in the context of God's massive building project, That God is creating a new human race made up of Jews and Gentiles who constitute uh, a new human society in the world centered in the one who brings peace. Who then are granted access into the very presence of the Holy God who then constitute the new dwelling place of God in the world. Then Paul seems to begin to pray. Chapter 3 verse 1. For this reason I, we anticipate him praying, but he stops. To share more personally, to tell us what this grace has been doing in his own life. About how grace, through grace, God revealed the mystery to him. How through grace God called him to preach the unfathomable riches of Christ. And then Paul shares how the tribulations He's experiencing in doing this gospel ministry, the pressure, the crushing pressure is all about bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. That last conviction of his, by the way, gives me great hope to cope with the crushing pressure I've been living on under this last little while. Trusting that this pressure is part of bringing the kingdom in our city. Then, at chapter 3, verse 14, Paul gets on his knees. In the midst of all this pressure, and in light of this gospel he's been preaching, he prays. In chapter 1, he reports that he has been praying. In chapter 3, he actually prays. He prays the gospel. He prays the gospel into our hearts. In chapter 1, he prayed that we might know the gospel. In chapter 3, he's praying that we might experience the gospel. Not only know the good news, but actually experience the good news. More exactly, in chapter 1, he prayed that we might know the God of the gospel. In chapter 3 now, he's praying that we might experience the God of the gospel. The triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This has to be, for me, one of the most moving scenes in all of Scripture. Paul the prisoner, in very crummy circumstance, gets down on his knees, takes our hearts into his hands, and prays the gospel he preaches into our hearts. He does not want the gospel to get stuck in our heads as mere theory. He wants the gospel to be a living reality, so he boldly, Ask the Father to make it so. That Paul prays is in and of itself one of the clearest signs that Paul really believes the gospel. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection... The way into the presence of the living God, the door into the heart of the holy God, has been opened. As Richard Foster likes to put it in his book on prayer, the Father's heart is open wide and you are welcome to come in. Up to this point in his letter, Paul has used the word access twice. Chapter 2, verse 18. For through Jesus Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have our access in one spirit to the Father. Chapter 3, verse 12. In Christ Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and confident access. He can say that because at the moment Jesus dies on the cross... That huge curtain in the Jerusalem temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's 60 feet high, it's 30 feet wide, and it's 12 inches thick. It's torn in two from top to bottom, clearly an act of God, signaling that the way into the Holy of Holies, the way into the very presence of the Creator and Redeemer is open wide and we are welcome to come in. That Paul prays so Passionately and expectantly reveals that he believes the gospel. That Paul prays what he prays says that he really believes what the gospel declares about the God of the gospel. I bow my knees before the Father. The Father. Paul loves to say this word father. He he refers to father in the letter to the Ephesians more than anywhere else. It seems that after decades of walking with Jesus Christ, Paul is still stunned by the good news around this word father. The gospel declares that those who follow Jesus, those who belong to Jesus, are brought into the same relationship with the father that Jesus has. Jesus lives for his father, Jesus loves his father, Jesus trusts his father, Jesus basks in the goodness of his father. And Paul delights to call God father because he realizes the unspeakable privilege that we have been granted the same status with God that Jesus Christ has. We too are brought in on this intimate relationship with the father Jesus experienced in his earthly ministry. Jesus' Father now relates to us just as he relates to Jesus. Jesus' Father now loves us just as he loves Jesus. I bow my knees before the Father. Can you hear the wonder in his words? From whom every family on earth derives its name. It is not clear what Paul is referring to here. I do not think he is saying here that God the Father is the model of fatherhood in the world. That is true. God the Father is a good model for fatherhood, but that's not what Paul is emphasizing here. This term family, as in every family, refers to a group of people related to a common ancestor or a leader. So it can refer to a family, a clan, a movement, or a nation. I think Paul is saying that any group of people in heaven and on earth finds its true life in the Father of Jesus Christ. Any nuclear family and the family of God, the Church, all find true life in the Father, through the Spirit, in the Son. I bow my knees before the Father, the Father who, because of Jesus Christ, is our Father, your Father, my Father, who delights in the brothers and sisters of His beloved Son. And, says Paul, who is able? Who is able to do something about what we come into God's presence to ask Him to do? You see, if the Father is not able, we're going to have a very nice conversation. (laughs) But there's no hope that anything's going to happen as a result of praying. Paul knows the God of the gospel. Now unto Him who is able. Notice how Paul's confidence builds. This God is able. This God is able to do what we ask. This God is able to do what we ask or think. This God is able to do all that we ask or think. This God is able to do beyond all that we ask or think. This God is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. This God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. I bow my knees before the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who is able. Who, says Paul, Acts according to the riches of His glory. Mark that phrase. I pray that He grants you according to the riches of His glory. Glory. This word glory refers to all that makes God be God. Riches of His glory. God's glory is inexhaustible. The well of God's essence is bottomless. The well of all that makes God be God is bottomless. And so Annie Johnson Flint can sing in her song, He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase.
0: To added affliction he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trial
1: his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known to men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus he giveth and giveth and giveth again. And then this line... When we have exhausted our store of endurance. When our strength has failed. Ere the day is half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources. Our father's forgiving is only begun. Paul bows his knees before the father of Jesus. Who is able to do more than any of us can imagine. And who gives out of the treasures of his inexhaustible glory. And remember. Remember. Paul is saying all of this in a prison cell. (laughs) Good news. This gospel works in prison cells. And on his knees, Paul takes our hearts into his hands, lifts them to the God of the gospel, and prays the gospel into our hearts. Father, grant them to be strengthened with power through your spirit in the inner person. The verb strengthen can be rendered fortify or invigorate. Oh, Father, fortify them with power. Invigorate them with power. We know from his prayer in chapter 1 of his letter that the power Paul has in mind is the power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him above all powers. Oh, Father, invigorate them with resurrection power. You are able, please, Father, fortify them with your life-giving power. In the inner person, in the deepest recesses of our being. In his second letter to the Corinthians, Paul speaks of the outer person and the inner person. The outer person is decaying, says Paul. Like, tell me about it, dude. (laughs) But, says Paul, the inner person. Is being renewed day by day. Father, strengthen their inner person with the power you exercised when you raised your beloved Son from the grave. Through His Spirit, I pray that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner person. Spirit, person, like the Father and like Jesus the Son. Spirit, God like the Father and like Jesus' the Son, the third person of the Holy Trinity, who in the beginning hovered over the dark nothingness and brought the universe into being. Who in the middle of history hovered over the emptiness of the virgin's womb and brought the God-man into being. The Spirit who in this moment of history hovers over our lives, bringing resurrection life to our inner persons even as the outer person decayed. Gordon P. puts it this way, The living God is a God of power, and by the Holy Spirit, the power of the living God is present with and for us and in us. And so J.B. Phillips paraphrases Paul's prayer for us, that out of the glorious riches of his resources, the Father will enable you to know the strength of the Spirit's inner reinforcement. So that. Paul prays for the power of the Holy Spirit so that. So that Christ might dwell in your hearts. Now, Paul is not here asking that Christ come to dwell in our hearts. Christ has already done that. He's already come to believers and begun to live in and with us. It's what makes us Christians. Christ in ones. The risen Jesus has come to dwell with us and in us. It's what Jesus promised just before going to the cross. Abide in me and I in you, live in me and I in you. So Paul is not praying that Christ now come to believers to begin to dwell in them. In chapter two, verse 22, he says of believers that we are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The indwelling has already begun. Paul has taken our hearts into his hands and is praying that we be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit so that this indwelling might be all that Christ wants it to be. Paul is praying that Christ might completely dwell in our hearts. Now, hearts and inner person are related. Yet, heart goes a little deeper. If inner person means the center of personhood, then heart refers to the control center of our personhood. Paul is praying that Christ dwell at the control center of our inner person. Now, here I simply have to share a little bit of a linguistic study. I know that not everyone appreciates this when I do this in a sermon. But what I want you to see will help you better understand what Paul is praying for. So just a little linguistic study for just a few minutes. The basic Greek word for dwell is oikeo. O-I-K-E-O, if you're writing notes. Oikeo. It's related to the noun oikos, which means home. Oikeo, to dwell in a home. Now, in the Greek language one can add different prepositions to the same verb, creating another word with different meanings. So, for example, one can add to oikeo the preposition para, meaning beside or alongside. The resulting word, oikeo would then mean dwell beside, dwell alongside. It came to mean dwell as a visitor dwell as a guest dwell as a sojourner par oikeo comes into the english language in the word parish as church parish the apostle peter uses this word in reference to the church the church is the parish because the church dwells in the world as a visitor as a guest as a sojourner we never fully settle down because this is not yet our home Now, here's what I want you to see about what Paul prays. One can also add to this word oikeo, dwell, the preposition kata, meaning down. The resulting word kata oikeo would then mean dwell down, settle down, move in as a permanent residence. Now, this is the word Paul uses in his prayer. Father, invigorate them invigorate their inner persons with the power of your Spirit so that Christ may kata oikeo in their hearts and not just par oikeo. Father, invigorate the inner persons of their being with the power of your Holy Spirit so that Christ will dwell in their hearts not as a visitor, but as permanent resident, not as a guest, but as master." In the so-called evangelical world, we speak of receiving Christ. We we invite people to receive Christ into their hearts. And, And if you have never done that, I encourage you to do it today. Receive Christ into your hearts. But we need to understand this word in its Middle Eastern context, in the context in which Jesus first used it. In the Middle East, to receive someone into your home is, yes, to receive receive the person as a guest, but it is also and primarily to then treat the guest as master of the home. It's an amazing thing to visit a Middle Eastern home. Everything in the home now revolves around this guest who is treated as the master. Everything in the home now happens at the most subtle bidding of the guest. Who was being treated as master. I had the opportunity of spending some days in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, my host was a professor at Arab, theological, Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. I had gone there with um, uh, my father-in-law and another man. My father-in-law and another man had gone off and done something this day, but so my host took me to this most exquisite restaurant high on the hills above the Mediterranean Sea. One of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen in the world. Oh, and the food was exquisite. We went home, and then my father in law joined us at the home, and I made the mistake. I said, in the presence of the host, to my father in law, Oh, you should have seen where he took me for lunch today. And that professor, on a limited budget, then took my father in law and me that night to that restaurant. I was the guest. But I was treated as master, my slightest whim was now his order. Do you now see why Paul prays for power? It takes power to alter everything in your home around a new person who has moved in. It takes power to change the routines, power to change the attitudes, Power to switch from living our lives as our own master to living at the beckon and call of the new master who has moved in. And it takes power to remodel the house. Christ is taking up residence. This is now going to become his place. He's making it his own. If you have never read, I commend to you the little booklet I carry in my pocket, My Heart, Christ, Home, by Robert Boyd Munger. This man took me under wing when I was a young seminary student 40 years ago. Dr. Munger, in this little book, My Heart, Christ Home, works with the imagery inherent in kat oikeo, settle down. He encouraged us to think of our lives as this house, and then he encourages us to think through all the rooms that are in the house. And then he encourages us one by one to welcome Christ into each of those rooms. Munger encourages us, as Paul would, to let Christ go beyond the living room where many of us make him stay. To invite Christ to go into the kitchen and dining room and have our eating habits transformed. To go into the living room and transform our relationships. To go into the recreation room and transform the way we use our free time. To go into the study and the library and to transform what we allow ourselves to read and go into our minds. To go into the bedroom and to transform this most intimate place. And then to go into all the secret closets and bring his healing and his cleansing and his liberating. In prison, the Apostle Paul gets down on his knees, takes our hearts into his hands and prays the gospel into them. Father, good and gracious Father of Jesus, you who are able to do way beyond what any of us can ask or think, will you out of your inexistence? exhaustible riches of your essence strengthen our inner persons by the power of your holy spirit so that christ may freely live in us in all his fullness well that's half of the prayer next week we will uh, pray paul's other extravagant expectations i love to hear paul preach But I especially love to hear him pray. Amen.